Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much for tuning in. Folks, we have a very exciting show today. This is actually the first time we've ever really dove into this topic. The show's going to be a little different, and uh, different in a good way. We're going to be talking about cryptozoology. So I want you to imagine Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, very unusual animals. Now, please don't turn this podcast off if you're not interested in those animals. We also will be talking about animals that have been scientifically proven. And so I am thrilled to have on the podcast the host of the very popular Strange Animals podcast, Kate Shaw. I've been obsessed with this podcast in each episode. I actually binge watch each episode, but in each episode, she Kate goes into one or two different animals and she goes into the natural history. She also gives some great facts. And so I'm so excited to have her on the show. Welcome, Kate. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited too. And I'm honestly starstruck. I am a huge fan of your podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I love yours too. I've been listening to it for a couple of weeks now. It's great. Oh, really? I love yours. I actually binged listen to all of yours and yours are a lot easier to binge listen to because they're only, you know, like 15. I mean, sometimes some are even shorter than 15 minutes. Mine are like three hours long. So <laughs> yeah, but you can go in depth. Yeah. Well, I, I love it. And I love how the, I actually found out about your podcast when we were both nominated for one of the six best animal podcasts. That was so exciting. Cause I, I didn't know about hardly any of those and now I love them all. Me too. Me too. I had no idea. And it was so funny because I was thinking, oh, I mean, I, I, I assume that my mom's listening to these, but it's like, how do you know how many people are listening? <laughs> so it was so cool. So I'm so happy we got to connect. And I feel like we're all like, I, I feel like the people who do these animal podcasts, I feel like we all like to help each other out. And I feel like we like to support each other and listen to each other's contents and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a great community. Very supportive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm so excited because I want to talk to you today about cryptozoology. <laughs> and I, I've, just, I've, always, I've just always been fascinated with the unknown. And is, is, is that a reason why you started the Strange Animals podcast? Yeah, I, I started it mostly because I couldn't find anything like it. And I, I thought I would get bored with it after a few months. And it's been over a year and I'm still having a great time. Yeah. And you, and I have to give you credit. You must, you must do so much research. And by the way, if you're listening to this, please pause, hit the pause button and go to strange animals podcast, hit subscribe. And uh, you have to listen to them because they're so informative and, and informational. How much research do you do? How long does it take you to put together an episode? Oh gosh, <laughs> too long, really. Um, a lot of things that I should do like housework doesn't get done, but uh, I'd rather do this. Um, it, it depends on the animal, the ones that are definitely real or extinct. Well, those are real too. <laughs> Living or extinct, but definitely real. Those are actually easier and quicker to research because there's more information and I don't have to double check every single fact. Whereas with the cryptozoology, um, the animals that we're not sure are real, a lot of times there's a lot of sketchy information out there. So I want everything to be as scientific as possible without, you know, killing the excitement. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have to dig a lot deeper that way. And sometimes that takes a lot longer. So yeah, yeah you I do, do a lot so of much. it at work. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah. Don't tell my boss. I know, right? <laughs> it's so funny. Well, I actually treat my podcast as just a conversation. So very rarely, I, I feel like that's like the best, you know, the most organic way to do it. But for your podcast, you're a solo host and you have to give out this information. Yeah. <laughs> and people, and sometimes, you know, uh, yeah, anyway. So like I said, huge fan. So w- cryptozoology, can we talk a little bit about it? What is cryptozoology for listeners who have no idea what in the world we're talking about? Ah, cryptozoology is a lot of fun. Um, it's the science, although it's not always really science but it's supposed to be a science where uh, people learn or study about or try and find animals that we're not sure exist. So that can mean either animals that we know used to exist, but they think they're extinct now, maybe we're looking for those, or they're animals that we're pretty sure never existed, but maybe they did, there are folk tales and so forth, so we go looking for them, um, all kinds of things, uh, they, 
Bigfoot is considered, they call him a cryptid. Um, that's like a cryptozoological animal. It's just a quicker way to say it. So there's Bigfoot, there's Nessie, there's the big ones like that. And then there's a lot of the little ones that people haven't really necessarily heard of. And those are my favorites. Okay. Okay. So I, I didn't know. I, I was going to just, you great segue. I was just going to ask you, was there <laughs> one particular animal in cryptozoology that you were interested in. And I would assume Bigfoot would have turned me into it. And that's kind of what turned me into cryptozoology. But you said the the lesser known animals. Yeah, my actual, my favorite one is the tatzel worm. And most people have never heard of it. And I hadn't heard of it until I started doing research for an episode. And that one, oh, it's exciting because it might very well be real. Um, and I like the ones that might very well be real. I'd, I'd much rather have a real animal that somebody discovers and says, hey, we can study this now than any kind of like ghostly, scary, spooky kind of thing. I mean, that's fun. But when it comes right down to it, I want to see the real animal. So the tetzel worm is an animal that might live in the Alps. Um, there's been lots of people saying that they've seen this thing for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, it's supposed to look something like uh, maybe a two-foot kind of wormy, snaky, lizardy thing that's got big eyes and like they uh, repeatedly call it a cat-like head, but there's no ears. It's some sort of reptile maybe, um, but it has two front legs, but it doesn't always have rear legs. Most of the time people say, well, it didn't have hind legs at all. So there's a couple animals it might be, but we don't know for sure because nobody's ever actually found one. So, but not a whole lot of people have been looking for it. I'm like, how can you not? If you live there, why don't you go out in your backyard and just look for the tatzel worm? That would be so much fun. <laughs> like, could you imagine if someone asked you what you were looking for? They'd be like, wait, what? It's about this big and it's got big staring eyes. <laughs> That's what wow. I'm looking for. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And so you, so are you convinced that this, that this could possibly be real living in the Alps? Maybe, or, you know, there's some possibility that maybe it used to be real and maybe it's extinct now, but in that case, Hey, go look for the remains, go look for, you know, fossils or sub fossil remains. There's gotta be something. Wow. That, okay. Are there any other ones that come to mind that are lesser known that you're just obsessed with? Oh, gosh. Every time I do an episode on a new one that I've never heard before, it's, it becomes my favorite for a while. Because when I dig into it, I get so into the details. Um, I recently did an episode on um, lungfish, but it also had a lot to do with the buru, um, which may be a lungfish species that we don't know for sure. So, you know, again... Go out and look for it. If you live in Asia, go look for these things. Mm -hmm. Or in the Alps or wherever you live, there's bound to be something. So just get out into nature and look for animals. Now, well, you know where I'm located because you're located in Tennessee. I'm in Idaho. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We have, um, and I think it's, oh my, we have more undiscovered wilderness in Idaho than, than in the lower 48. And so a lot of people claim we have Bigfoot here. Hey, why not? <laughs> right? Did you know this is so interesting? So I heard the other day, I'm a big fan. Have you ever heard of the, the Joe Rogan podcast? I've heard of it. I don't think I've actually listened to it. Okay. Well, I, I, uh, I'm a really big fan. He has a variety of different people on. He actually has scientists on, which I, I like his scientific interviews. And, you know, they're really good podcasts. But they were talking about back in 2002-ish, I believe, that Dr. Jane Goodall said that she 100% believed in Sasquatch. Oh, that's awesome. Isn't that crazy? I mean, yeah. <laughs> she, she was an authority. So, you know, hey. You know, but I'm wondering if she's thinking like, oh, shoot, maybe I shouldn't have said that years ago because he actually <laughs> – it's so funny because when I was listening to it, I thought there's no way, you know, one of the top, you know, primatologists in the world, the leading scientist would be, you know, say Bigfoot's real, but they actually found the audio clip and she said 100% she believes – she's talked to Native Americans and she 100% believes that Bigfoot's real. Awesome. Do you? I I don't know. I go back and forth on it because I haven't actually done a Bigfoot episode. I did a Yeti episode and some others like that. But I mean, there's been so many really good podcasts out there who've done Bigfoot. I kind of didn't want to cover it, but eventually I will. But for the Yeti, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking he might be a bear, but maybe not. I mean, there's so much big space out there that really has not been explored. And so many stories 
you know? I mean, and mm-hmm. it, it's, it's exciting to think that, yeah, maybe some of the sightings are of bears, but maybe the sightings, some of them are for something else that we don't know about yet, that we might any day now, somebody might say, oh my gosh, look what I found, this dead animal, but it's like weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy. And I, and you know what? Those, those Bigfoot shows got me hooked for a while, but now I don't watch them anymore because it's like, you know what yeah. I mean? They're always like, what was that? Or just like, yeah. or just like those 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 ghost hunter shows where yeah, you know their 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 camera cuts out all of a sudden and they and they miss the you know ghost and yeah, I used to watch the ghost shows. I had so much fun with that, and then I started to wonder why they were doing it at night when they couldn't see. I mean, the ghost <laughs> doesn't know it's dark, I guess. <laughs> so I sort of got a little skeptical on that, but it was they're fun. Yeah. Absolutely. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't, so many people believe, and it's crazy because you actually hear these interviews of people who swear they've seen Bigfoot, you know, cross the road or, you know, they have the footprints and like people, and you're just watching these interviews thinking, man, these people are either really good actors or they're really, really convinced that they saw Bigfoot. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, people are obviously seeing something. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about an animal that did exist. And this is the first episode. I actually listened. This is your debut episode. And I just want to tell you, you picked the perfect animal because this is an animal I always wanted to learn about and you don't see too much information. So we're talking about the Tasmanian tiger or the thylacine. Yeah. They, oh gosh, I really hope that they are still around because this was a real animal that we think it went extinct in the 1930s and it lived in um, Tasmania, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get really kind of confused when it comes to geography and also pronunciations of things, but you know, <laughs> I can always look that up. But yeah, the thylacine was like this um, sort of dog-like, but it was a marsupial. So it wasn't like a dog because not related at all, but mm-hmm. um, it looked like... Um, sort of dog-like, sort of fox-like, had a sort of cat-like. Nobody was really sure how to describe it. But uh, we have pictures. We have even, I think there may be some video from the 30s, just Mm -hmm. short clips. But they were really cool. And they were long, low animals with long tails. They could open their jaws so wide. It looks like somebody Photoshopped it, but they actually opened their jaws that wide. It's like, what are you trying to eat? A watermelon? I mean, it was just really? ridiculous. But they have stripes along the back legs and the tail. And apparently they were really shy, nervous, quiet animals. But everybody thought they were after the settlers' chickens and their sheep and everything like that. So they put a bounty on their heads. Mm. And, yeah, that was, you know, pretty much the end of it. 1936 was the last one. Um, there were a few in captivity in various zoos. Nobody really took good care of them back then. You know, there just wasn't a whole lot of uh, animal welfare. Let's put it that way. People just threw them in a cage and threw them some meat every so often. They didn't really have veterinary care. So they all died. They didn't reproduce in, you know, captivity. Um But, yeah, 1936, the last one in captivity died. But ever since, people keep seeing them in the wild. So I'm really, really hoping that that's one that someday people are going to find a viable population out in the middle of nowhere in Australia or New Zealand or New Guinea or Tasmania, one of these places all in that little area, big area. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, who knows? I mean, because that's so awesome. I just like thinking about it. Yeah. I just, and it's so sad because I think the footage you're talking about is it the one where the thylacine is just pacing back and forth like a concrete pin. Yeah. And there's just, you know, wire mesh and the concrete floor. And there was absolutely, it wasn't natural at all. It was just, you know, like they put these animals in prison because they did something bad by being alive. Mm, yeah, yeah. That's super sad. I wonder, do we have any, I wonder, do they have any mounted individuals, at any of our history museums? I'm sure there has to be a mounted individual somewhere. Yeah. I'm sure there are quite a few, actually. I haven't okay. specifically gone out to look, but you know, there's lots of pictures of various ones. The, the problem with the mounted ones from back then, if they weren't mounted well, they look really bizarre. So, and these were weird looking animals to start with. So if it wasn't a well-mounted animal then you know it's hard to tell what it actually looked like Mm -hmm. okay and you know what i found interesting and another reason why i love your podcast is i learned so much 
Like I learned so much and I, I think that's great. And I think that's why people, why your podcast is very popular. People learn things they didn't know. And with the Tasmanian tiger, I, in my mind, before I knew anything about it, I was thinking this is a huge predator. It's taking down all these large marsupials, you know, these large land animals in Australia. And in fact, their diet was quite different. What do scientists think that their diet was? Isn't it, wasn't it smaller animals? Yeah. In fact, they think that one of the things that drove them to extinction, assuming they are actually extinct, was that they mostly seemed to eat, um, it was a bird called the uh, native hen. And I'm not actually sure what that looked like because I forgot to look that up. But <laughs> it, it, it was it was sort of a like a big chicken. Um, okay. But it was I believe it was flightless. So it, the Tasmanian or the, the I wanted to say Tasmanian devil. That's a completely different animal and also a cartoon. <laughs> but yeah, the the thylacine they thought mostly ate these native hens. Well, the native hen went extinct. It was hunted and and killed and. People just thought, oh, they'll be around forever. Well, it went extinct in the mid-19th century. And then the thylacines didn't really have a whole lot to eat at that point. So they might have been going after settlers' livestock just because they were starving because their, you know, their main diet had been wiped out. So that yeah. probably didn't help. But, yeah, they ate small things. They weren't great big predators. They weren't bringing down the kangaroos or anything. They were much too small for that. And they certainly weren't bringing down sheep or cattle or anything like that. They just got a bad rap. Oh, man. They sound almost like the North American version, which they're not related to, but of our uh, coyotes. Yeah, yeah. Just persecuted, just shot, and you know what I mean? Poisoned. Yeah. And and those are such interesting animals, too. They are fascinating. And one day I'm going to do, a, actually, an episode on them, too. Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say coyote because I've trained myself to say coyote because everyone around here does. My granddad always said coyote, so that's what I always grew up saying. But he was from um, Oklahoma, West Texas, out that way. I've never oh, been God. there, so I don't know if they, they actually say it there, but they certainly do where you are. <laughs> yes, and I, I love them. And they are actually mm -hmm. doing great. They're one of the few animals that has survived hundreds of years of human persecution. They're thriving. Good for them. Yeah, good for <laughs> them. Yeah, we actually hear them out here at uh, at, at night, and I, it's, it's so beautiful. I just think, mm -hmm. like, man, this is like what the American West, you know, it's what it used yeah. to sound like hundreds of years ago, and it still sounds like that. Yeah, the, the intro to my podcast, the yipping and the howling, those are actually coyotes. They're not wolves. Really? Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't want to go with wolves. I thought, yeah, everybody's going to go with wolves. Let's do the coyotes. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah I think they're, they're, I think they're, they're really beautiful. Magnificent. Yeah, they, yeah, they have beautiful songs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I was, and I, this is my favorite fact, and I'm sure my listeners probably know this, but I, this is the most interesting thing I found. I was reading National Geographic and they published a study to where when they are calling or howling, they're doing a population census. And so, oh, if, cool. Yeah. So if you, oh, you didn't know this. Oh, wow. No, I'm excited. <laughs> so they're one of the few animals. I'm sorry. I get so excited telling this fact, but yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so they basically do a call. They're doing a population census, and let's say Farmer John shot the coyote. The other coyotes in the area will know that they're missing a coyote, and they can actually um, increase the number. A female can increase the number of offspring they will have to, to fill for the one that was killed. Oh, wow, that's awesome. One of the only animals that can do that. I'm, I'm super wow. excited that we're learning. I, I didn't know that. That You taught me a thing. <laughs> right? And I know I was like all over the place. I'm sure there's a more scientific way. No, that's great. Yeah. I definitely need to put them on the list to do an episode soon. I think so. I think so. And I, yeah, anyway, so beautiful. <laughs> Another animal, and it's so crazy, and I, I, I love the animals. I mean, I guess this isn't exactly cryptozoology, or, or maybe it's a part of it, like you said, but the animals that went extinct, uh, I think the passenger pigeon is another one. That's like, oh, this, yeah. it's like the saddest story I've ever heard. Yeah, I mean, there were literally, there were probably more of them in the world at the time than any other bird, probably like all the other birds put together practically. There were literally billions, and um, now they're gone. I mean, they're completely wiped out. People don't even see them anymore. I mean, for a few years after the last ones were shot or the last ones were died in captivity, people would say, yeah, I saw some here, I saw some there, but nobody sees them anymore. I mean, they're gone. And that's yeah. awful. Yeah, that's the saddest thing. Because apparently they were beautiful birds. They looked a lot like morning doves, which I think are beautiful. 
But mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I actually saw the last one. I think her name was Martha from the Cincinnati. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think I saw, this sounds really bad, but I saw her, I guess, stuffed. I was going to say yeah. mounted, mounted, <laughs> stuffed. <laughs> taxidermy. Yeah, oh, thank you. Yeah, taxidermy. Yeah. <laughs> At the uh, Natural History Museum, I believe in New York. I believe that's where she is, or maybe mm-hmm. in Chicago. Anyway, um, yeah, it was super sad that we just drove yeah. extinction. And the ivory-billed woodpecker is the same way. I've seen some stuffed ones or mounted ones, taxidermy yeah, I, ones, however you want to say it. I've I've seen that, but... Yeah, I don't know. It's not looking good for them either. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about the ivory-billed woodpecker. Oh, gosh. That, a few years ago, I guess maybe 10, 12 years ago, something like that, um, people started seeing them in Arkansas. And and it wasn't just like, oh, I think I saw that. It was like trained ornithologists were seeing them and recording them. And it was a huge, big deal because they had been extinct, we thought, since think the 1930s um so but you know i mean people haven't seen them since it was just a, they thought it might have been one or maybe a pair in arkansas actually um and they used to be so common throughout the southeastern united states and into mexico there was a subspecies or maybe it was just a an I don't know if it was a subspecies, but it was certainly in cuba too and but you know they they need enormous forests and you know as people moved west and started cutting the forest down and making farms they just started to go extinct really so, yeah okay. habitat loss loss is a real bad thing so mm-hmm. we, we have mm-hmm. to be careful we got to set aside lots of big big areas for these animals because they can't all be like the coyote they can't all live next door to us and be happy about it some of them really want to be far away from us and i don't blame them I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to be by us either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the most fascinating episodes, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to do like a, do like a lightning round with you. No, no, <laughs> but, that's fine. <laughs> I'm used to that. My episodes are 15 minutes long. I'm like, yeah, I can talk about an animal for five minutes and then I get bored. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I want to learn more. And I just, anyway, I just, I, I love all the research you do. And, uh, but like I said, the dodo was one, that was probably one of my favorite episodes you did. Oh, thanks. That one was fun. I didn't know a lot about the dodo until I did the research. And that seems to be the case on everything. I think I know a lot about animals just in general, but you get right down to it every, oh gosh, there's so many details for every animal. And and yeah, my aunt the other day was saying, what are you going to do when you run out of the strange animals? And I'm like, I will never run out of strange animals. Every animal is strange. <laughs> yeah, the dodo is fascinating. It was actually a type of pigeon. Yes. Yeah. Mind blown yeah. right now. Like a, exactly. A <laughs> <laughs> and and people think what happened was that you know that it lived on the island of Mauritius, which was is not a very big island, but they think that this. Um, its ancestor was a type of pigeon and they think that it just, some of them just stayed on that Island and liked it. And since there were no predators on the Island, nothing to eat them or their chicks or their eggs or anything, they lost the the ability to fly because they didn't need to, they could run pretty fast. And so they just nested on the ground. They had, you know, one or two babies at a time and the babies were happy and they were happy and nothing bothered them. And then the ship showed up. Oh, man. And um, let's see, I've got it written down. 1598, some Dutch sailors stopped off. At oh, Mauritius, man. And they're like, oh, look, these birds are not afraid of us. Let's just kill a bunch of them and eat them. But then they left again. Um, but then other people stopped by and, you know, they left dogs, they left pigs, they left rats. And oh. they started to eat the babies. They started to eat the eggs. And by 1662, the dodo was extinct, and it went extinct so 1662? fast. Yeah, that was 64 years after the first Dutch sailors showed up and said, hey, look wow. at these birds. It, they went extinct so fast that for a couple of centuries, people thought it was just a sailor story. They didn't think it was a real bird at all. And then some researchers went there just to look at the animals that were there, and they said, oh, this is weird. We're finding remains of these big flightless birds. So maybe this wasn't such a story. So, yeah, but, yeah, 
I mean, that was such a fast, that's why we say dead as a dodo. That's why they're famous because that was sort of a wake up call. And this was in Victorian era. So, you know, about 150 years ago when people were first really starting to realize that these animals can go extinct. They're not going to live forever. The things that we do as humans can have an impact on the environment that is not good. Um, And that the dodo was really a wake up call to a lot of Victorians who thought, well, you know, these animals are going to be fine. I'm sure there are more of them. And then they realized that there weren't. But yeah, the dodo is a fascinating bird. Not only was it a big pigeon, but it actually was pretty smart. They say that the only reason it got the um, sort of the reputation of being dumb is because it wasn't afraid of humans. So I didn't know it, it had never had anything try to eat it before. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure if it had been a bigger island or if there had been fewer rats and dogs and pigs to kill it, um, it might have hung on. And it certainly would have learned that humans are not good things to be around necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm actually shocked we still have the giant land tortoises, the Aldabra tortoises of the yeah. Seychelles, because I'm shocked the sailors didn't wipe them out because they had a horror. They decimated. Oh, those yeah. Populations. And actually, several have gone extinct mm-hmm. of those uh, of some some subspecies. Yeah, they apparently taste good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and and you can. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say apparently it's kind of hard to get at that meat, but <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And it was, yeah. And I mean, and, and I can imagine being a Dutch sailor and you're starving. You're in the middle of the ocean, and then it's like coming across an island full of like Kentucky Fried Chicken. Like I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, there's there's no no turkey or turkey farm. No, that's actually not. I was trying to say chicken farm and then I thought, no, that's not right. (laughs) (laughs) There's no turtle farm. That's the word. There's no tortoise farm to supply them with new tortoises. It just no, they're gone. They're gone. Yeah, I just yeah, that is one animal. And I think when I was a kid, I think the dodo, I think you're I think you hit the nail on the head. It was a poster child for an extinct animal. That's the first animal I learned that was once around that went extinct. Yeah. Yeah. If if you could bring back one animal from extinction, what would it be? Oh my gosh. That's a big responsibility. <laughs> Man. <laughs> I've never really thought about that. I'm not sure. I think it might have to be a dinosaur. I think so, too. Let's just go for a big one. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think? Like a T-Rex or something like that? Mm, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody will like him or her. Yeah. Yeah. What about this, like, research with people wanting to bring back the woolly mammoth? I think. Do you think they'll Mm. be able to do that one day? Yeah, I'm absolutely positive. It's probably not going to be right away. It's going to be at least 10 years, probably closer to 25 or even 50, but they will manage to do it. Um, And they'll probably do it first with a bird like the dodo, where we have a lot of subfossil remains. Although, well, with the dodo, we don't have a whole lot. Um, But there are animals that we do that have gone extinct. And um, once they get to the point where they can actually clone an animal from DNA. Um, and I don't really understand how that works because I'm certainly not a scientist in that <laughs> way at all. But yeah, once they can figure out how to do that, and um, I think we're going to see a lot of animals like that. I think the the mammoth in particular is a really good one to do it. And um, I can't remember which episode. It may have been actually a bonus episode for my Patreon subscribers where I actually talked about mammoths and mastodons. But Actually, I think I may have unlocked that one for anyone who wants to listen. But one of the things I do mention in that one is the de-extinction and how it would be such a good idea because where the mammoths would live today, that environment is still there. But the environment is actually not in a good shape because there are no mammoths. So if we could get the mammoths back in there, that would actually protect the environment too. So there's yeah i mean it's controversial because some people say well it's gone we should put our money and our resources into protecting the animals we still have but i don't know i think there's room for everybody with enthusiasm and a budget hey go for it make me some mammoths i want a pet one (laughs) (laughs) in fact yeah let's just bring that one back let's do it instead of the t-rex let's just have a mammoth yeah, I, it seems more realistic. So when you said their habitat, are you talking like, are we talking like Russia area, like northern Russia? Is that where you're talking about where they yeah. would be? 
It was, um, I believe it was the tundra. Um, tundra, Arctic, or Arctic tundra. Yeah, the Arctic tundra. And a lot mm. of that is, um, it used to be just, um, I'm wanting to say like low growing plants and grasses and just a big variety of plants. And now it's growing up into, um, I think, trees and forests. So it's, you wouldn't think that would be a bad thing, but the grasses actually protected the permafrost and the permafrost, of course, we've got, you know, the rising temperatures in various areas and the climate change. So that permafrost is starting to melt. And if, if we didn't have the cover changing, um, it might not melt as fast and we might be able to keep some of these areas that are really changing very rapidly. And a lot of, a lot of animals that are living there are going to lose their place to live because of the changes. Hmm. This, this is so depressing. Let's talk about an animal that's possibly still alive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Let's talk about, I know this is so depressing. For I hate to say, well, yes, this animal is extinct. This animal is extinct. Oh, and the world is on fire. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about an animal that is alive, and you've mentioned this numerous times in your podcast. This was your highest-rated episode. Let's jellyfish. talk about yes, <laughs> jellyfish. What? And I actually, I have a confession. I've never even listened to that one. <laughs> I, I have. I've actually listened to it a couple of times because I cannot understand why it's so popular. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I re-listened to it again today, and I think I know why because. Uh-huh. I give a lot of information about various jellyfish and also tell people not to get in the ocean because it's full of dangerous animals, but which, Hey, you know, just take that advice. You know, I Mm. I never get in the ocean. I love looking at it. I love shells, but I'm not getting in that water, but yeah, the jellyfish, that episode, I give a ton of really interesting stories about there. Oh, wow. My favorite one. I had forgotten about this. There was, the ship and I didn't write any of the details down. So I'm just going by memory. Now I have a terrible memory, but there was, <laughs> okay. Well, there was a ship and it has a name, but I've forgotten it. This, this was a real thing that happened. Um, there was a ship traveling um, somewhere around Australia, Fiji, someplace like that, um, that part of the world. And the ship actually ran into a jellyfish that was so enormous that it got on the deck. I mean, they, they killed it, but the deck was covered with this gooey jellyfish. It was two feet deep on the deck and, and it was a stinging jellyfish. Most of them are. And, um, in fact, one of the sailors died. He, I, you know, some of these can be very dangerous. So, but then the ship started to sink because the jelly was so heavy. So they actually, yeah, this was, I think it was early seventies. So it's not like they could just call the coast guard out. They actually had to send like a telegram or whatever they do. Probably not a telegram, (laughs) not in the middle of the ocean. Okay. Yes. I'm sounding really smart. No, you're (laughs) They, they sent just... a radio message or something, and they said, please come help us. So the, um, the nearest port sent out a tugboat, and the tugboat had like um, oh, like a hose kind of contraption, and they were actually able to hose the jelly off the deck so that the ship wouldn't sink. And they were okay after that, but they did send some of the jelly tentacles or whatever to um, someplace in Australia to say, you know, what is this? Because this is an enormous jelly. We've never seen anything like it. Well, they said, well, we think it's a lion's mane jellyfish, which is one of probably one of the biggest jellyfish just by mass. But the biggest lion's mane jellies don't live in warm water. They live in the Arctic water. They like cold water. And there are smaller ones in the warmer water, but not those gigantic ones, certainly not that big. So that's just one of the examples of, you know, that's a, that's a cryptid and um, it might be, yeah, it's probably a real lion's mane jellyfish. So it's not that much of a mystery, but it's a colossal one. So we don't know a whole lot about it. The the ocean, I may be scared to death of the ocean, but it's also fascinating because there's so much in there. I mean, we don't know what's down there and I love the deep sea animals and just thinking about it terrifies me and fascinates me at the same time. (laughs) 
I'm not going down there, but yeah. (laughs) yeah. So yeah, that's, that's an example of why the jellyfish episode is like just riding high. (laughs) Everyone likes that. Yeah. I never knew. So it literally, this is true. A giant jellyfish took out a ship. Yeah, just about. They were really lucky that somebody was able to come get that thing off the ship because the lion's mane jellyfish it's not like the little pretty jellyfish with the long tentacles. It's like some of the bigger ones that we know of have a bell that's like seven feet across. And, and the then, bell is the top. Yeah, the that's the top part that's sort of an umbrella shape or whatever. But yeah, seven feet across and it's got these, the tentacles are pretty long, but they're also really, really thick. I mean, there's like thousands and thousands of tentacles and they're like these little wormy things hanging down so it's very dense and it's got a heavy it's you know very massive so yeah and that that's would the, be that's terrifying. in the ocean yeah why would anybody go into the water <laughs> i love i know it's so crazy i remember like one of the most terrifying things as a kid is i was swimming in uh i don't know in, i think like florida and i remember like i was just kind of swimming and all of a sudden a giant school of these big old fish just jumped Whoa. up right in front of me i literally oh. I, i'm sure i probably peeped <laughs> It was. Oh, it's okay. It's in the ocean. You can do that. <laughs> it was terrifying. Because I mean, oh just, man. Oh. I was listening to one of your episodes recently. I can't remember the lady's name, but she was talking about the first time she got to swim with the sharks. Oh, great white and Sam. From yeah. The oh yeah, yeah. It was fascinating, and I kept thinking, nope, 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 <laughs> nope, nope. <laughs> But I'm glad somebody wants to do it so that I can hear about it later. <laughs> See, I wouldn't be scared of that. That's something. Yeah, no, I, you know, being, being like in the cage and stuff, that was an interesting episode. And I interviewed two people, uh, Chrissy. Oh, my life is an Aquarius. I think episode three and she swam and her and Sam both said the same thing that there was so much emotion in that. eye. it was such a beautiful oh, animal. It, wow. it, 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 it wasn't scary. Wow. It would have been scary for me. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm actually not scared of most sharks. I'm actually literally just scared of being in the water because, and, and it might not be so bad in a cage because I wouldn't feel like something's going to come up and grab me by the foot, but I am scared of hammerhead sharks. I don't even want to look at them. They terrify me just because they've Ooh. got those weird eyes. Oh, that's interesting. You need but to do they're, it. They're, if, they're fascinating. <laughs> yeah, have you done have you done an episode on hammerheads? I did actually. It's been a while. There was one. It was um, I did hammerhead sharks, and I coupled that with uh, megalodon. Okay, so, yes, and that, yes. that's actually a pretty popular one too. Um, everybody wants to think about megalodon, except me. oh my gosh well now that we're talking about i guess animals in the water Mm -hmm. let's talk about nessie the most famous come on we have to we have to okay nessie i'm gonna make everyone mad because you know guys (laughs) nessie is not a real animal she's just not i'm sorry oh come on loch ness does not have enough food for a big animal like that it just doesn't and let me just find my notes here because this is one that I made a lot of notes on because I know a lot of people really, they have their favorites and I don't want to dump on anybody's favorite. You know, if you truly believe the Loch Ness Monster is out there, that is fantastic. I hope you see her and take <laughs> good photographs and send them to me and let me know. Take notes, take photographs, <laughs> take everything. Don't hurt her though because she might be really rare. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I've got notes here because if I'm going to say something like, yeah, I don't think she's real, I'm going to back it up with some hard data. Please. I so, want to hear everything. And first okay. of all, I I want to know, out of all of the lakes in the world, why is Loch Ness, why was this the chosen one that people uh, have seen a monster? I don't know. <laughs> There's actually just about every lake out there um, has its own, like, little lake monster even if it's something like i where i live i live very close to a lake that was uh just a little river that was dammed in the 1930s um the tva project um i live like literally i could almost see the dam from where i'm sitting now except that there's a hill in the way but um the story here is that there are catfish at the bottom of the lake that are bigger than when I was a kid, it was, they're bigger than a VW bug. Of course, nobody really remembers them now, but 
of course there are not. It's not that big a lake. There are some big catfish down there, but they're not that big. But yeah, every lake has its own story. People love telling stories. And that's part of the excitement of learning about these animals. Like some of them are real, some of them are folklore. And even the ones that I determine, yeah, that's probably just a folklore story. It tells me about the people. And I find that fascinating. I, I learn more about human nature than I do about animal nature when I do research for a lot of these animals. But so let me tell you about Loch Ness. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. You know, a lot of people think that Loch Ness monster, she might be like a plesiosaur. That's not going to be the case because 18,000 years ago, <laughs> you just shot my dreams. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> I'm sorry. 18,000 years ago, Loch Ness was covered in a mile and a half of ice ice it was a huge gigantic glacier and Loch Ness itself the the lock uh, lake was carved out by that glacier and in fact it's part of a string of like little lakes and rivers that just cross right through Scotland but Loch Ness is the biggest one and um it's actually the biggest one. It's the biggest lake in the UK completely. It's not just the biggest lake in Scotland. And it is really deep. It's 754 feet deep at the biggest spot, Ooh. which is really, really deep. But since all these sightings and everyone's like, oh, there's a monster in there. We got to find the monster. They've actually sent so many sonar ships through there. I mean, they have just blanketed that place. So we know that there is no outlet to the ocean underneath the water. And that's one of the theories is that, oh, well, Nessie comes and goes to the ocean. Well, she can't. Um, there is outlet to the ocean through the, the river Ness, but it's very shallow. So seals come up. And sometimes oh. a bigger animal, but yeah, nothing bigger than a seal is really going to be able to get up through there and certainly not without being seen. So plesiosaur is right out. They went extinct about 65 million years ago. So 18,000 years ago, they were not in Loch Ness because Loch Ness was under a mile and a half of ice. So <laughs> right there. Yeah, we, we got an issue right there. But, you know, maybe it's something else. I don't know. So there's no hidden outlets to the sea. There's nothing unexpected like that. It's just really deep, but there's not a lot of fish in it. it. There's not a lot of food in it. So the animals that we know are there, there's enough food in the food web for them, but there's nothing missing. Um, when we look at the food web and we look at the available fish and things like that that are available, there's nothing that we, we could say, well, why is there so much fish in this lake when there's not that many animals or why is there, you know, all this room and there's no big animal because there are big animals. There's, you know, all kinds of things. Um, I think a lot of the sightings of Nessie are actually probably seals. Um, and, and, and maybe just like, um, stumps and things that get washed down because the water is very dark too. It's very peaty. It's hard to see. So it's not like, you know, you can go snorkeling and see all the way to the bottom. It's like, it's dark. So that's scary too. I would not get in that lake, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the water. I, I, I'll take a bath, but nothing deeper than that. Uh, but the first Nessie sighting, and, and, and Loch Ness, by the way, has been really popular for a very, very long time. People say, oh, well, nobody saw Nessie before 1933 because nobody was over there. But actually, it's been a tourist destination for hundreds of years. And it's been like, a, oh, gosh, it's a shipping channel. People go out. People live all over it. There's always been roads around it and villages. So it's it's a popular place. It's not as remote as people seem to think. Um, but the first actual Nessie sighting was in 1933. And this is the thing that really gets it. It just clinches it for me is that the person who sighted Nessie the first time um, saw her crossing the road and said, well, she looks like a dinosaur or, or well, it didn't even say dinosaur because that wasn't really a popular word yet. Um, he said a dragon or a prehistoric animal. Um, and this was, Literally like three or four months after King Kong was released, the movie King Kong, which was a sensation. And I, I mean, I haven't watched it since I was a kid, but there is a place in the movie where there's a dinosaur. It's like a sauropod that grabs a guy out of a tree and shakes him and eats him and knocks the people off the raft. So it was the the description given for this 1933 sighting is almost exactly 
what was in King Kong to the point, And I didn't even put this in my episode because I didn't know it yet, but I found out later that they even described it as being kind of jerky in motion, which back then, you know, <laughs> that, <laughs> that's how the dinosaurs. Yeah. Looked. So oh, unfortunately man. I'm pretty sure that this whole thing was started by someone who is just so blown away by this King Kong movie that when they saw they they some people think it might have been like a herd of deer crossing the road in twilight so it was not easy to see so they think that they actually just interpreted this mass of moving animals in the distance as something that they really wanted to see i mean they wanted to see a dinosaur so bad so but then again you never know i mean there might be something i'm probably not going to find it in loch ness just saying <laughs> oh, did did he ever come out and say that that was false? Oh, the guy who said that? Yeah. No, I think he, to his dying day, he was positive he'd seen the Loch Ness Monster. He, at least he went yeah. out with dignity. Exactly. I'm you, <laughs> and, I, and there has been a lot of hoaxes, unfortunately. So, yeah, yeah so, that's a shame. Yeah, because isn't that one, it's the famous Nessie photo. And didn't yeah. they come out and say it was like a bath toy or something? It was. They had made it. And the reason that the the waves around it looked so funny is because they cropped it really close so that you couldn't tell that the waves were actually really gigantic next to this tiny toy. They wanted <laughs> it to look bigger. And, um, you know, back in the 30s, that was, you know, I guess that's what you did instead of Photoshop. <laughs> wow. Well, that and, you know, people ate that up. It was so sensational. And, oh, yeah. And I'm going to make a note, and I'm just going to say this. If you go to Loch Ness and you are hellbent to see the Loch Ness monster, <laughs> uh-huh. I'm telling you what, I could totally see how maybe a seal or how a, mm-hmm. a branch or a log out. I could totally see how someone could mistake. Yeah. You know, you know or, you know, I think they see, I've seen it. And and the problem is that once you've told everyone and it's gotten in the papers and you say, oh, my gosh, I've seen the Loch Ness Monster. And they then you realize and you think back and think, oh, you know what? I think I may not have seen it. You don't want to tell anybody. You're embarrassed at that point. So you got to keep going. You got to dig yourself deeper and say, oh, yeah, I had glowing eyes. <laughs> that, is such, that is such a good point because you don't want to sound like an idiot. You don't want yeah. to be the person. That is such a good point. I never or, even thought. Yeah, or you might even say, guys, I'm pretty sure I was wrong. And they're like, nah, you weren't wrong. Let's go look for this thing. So, hey, you know, it gets people out in the fresh air. I think so. And I think there is an inherent love of the unknown or yes. just the mystery to think like, what is out there? You know? Yeah. Because there's, oh, there's so many animals out there we've never seen, never heard of. They're, they discover new animals every year. And not even little bitty ones, although there's tons of them, but I mean, like big fish and big eels and, you know, even some large reptiles and land and, oh gosh, all kinds. And you don't ask me what kinds, because I can't think of any right now. <laughs> no, that's fine. I can't. Yeah, well, I'm thinking of one yeah, a few years ago, they discovered this, this giant monitor lizard. I want to oh, say, yeah. oh, goodness. like, I think in the Congo or I, maybe- I remember that it was, they live up in tall trees. Something like that. And it's like, what? We haven't seen this. Yeah. They're six feet long. They're huge. I remember reading an article about that. And I I can't remember if that's going in an episode or if I put it in an episode. Because it does sometimes run together a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. I could I can imagine there's a lot of stuff out there yeah. but I think that's so exciting that there's so much to be explored and mm-hmm. so much unknown. Okay, so you know I I live in the west, all right? Mm-hmm. So this is a very popular one. Let's talk about and I'm going to totally get it wrong, but the <laughs> Is it the uh, Chupacabra? How do you oh, say it? Chupacabra. Say it? Wait, Chupacabra. Wait. Chupacabra. Okay. Chupacabra. You can call him Chupi if you want. Chupi, or I love how you said your aunt called it a chimichanga. Oh, no, that's my mom. She tried to order a chupacabra in a Mexican restaurant. She, she meant chimichanga, but it, that's not what came out of her mouth. <laughs> yeah, she got a really weird look from the server, I got to say. But yeah. I, I think the chupacabra would be really tough meat. <laughs> yeah, I don't think <laughs> I just but this this one the chupacabra I, I'm so Ch- bad with chupacabra. 
the chupacabra, mm-hmm. I believe a lot of people think exists, especially in Texas, especially mm. in Mexico, New Mexico. Let's go into it. What are people okay. seeing? Well, this is actually a fascinating story, and, and it's another one where I learn more about people than animals in this one. When I did the research, there's actually an entire book called... Um, I think it's called Tracking the Chupacabra by Benjamin Radford. And I I read the book before I did the research. I mean, that was a big part of the research because he went all in. I mean, he went back and he re-interviewed everybody, you know, about 10, 15, yeah, I guess about 15 years after the original sightings and um, came to some fascinating conclusions, which I agree with. Uh, But this didn't even start until 1994, late 1994 in Puerto Rico. That was where the whole legend started. So it's not been something that, you know, has been known for hundreds of years. This is, this is a new, and, and, and I'm going to say, this is another one like Nessie. I'm sorry. You're, you're not going to go out and see a chupacabra or even order one at a restaurant because this animal, but there's two parts to it. So the first part is the one that's folklore. Um, and that's the one where the there's always going to be some animals that, you know, when, when you're a farmer, you're always going to lose animals and you don't know what killed them. And a lot of times that means that dogs have broken in and, and because the way dogs hunt or coyotes or wolves or anything like that, but especially dogs, um, they will just snap, 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 and they will bite anything that runs near them and get really excited. And then once all the excitement is over, then they pick one of these animals that they've killed or injured and either eat it there or they'll drag it away to eat it. I mean, that's just how they work. Um, but then when you come out, when you're a farmer and you come out and you've had, you know, seven goats killed and they're lying there. There and they've been lying there all night and you think, oh my gosh, this must be a monster. What would do this? They look like they've been drained of blood and all they have is like a bite mark on their neck. Well, you're going to think it's something horrific, but that's actually just how dogs kill things. And I've got scars on my arms from stopping a dog fight. Don't do that. But they didn't bleed hardly at all because all the bleeding is internal. They have very clean well, not super clean bites, but they're puncture wounds, basically. Yeah, that's interesting. We lost yeah. uh, uh, like a few years ago. This is when we first moved out to where we are. But actually, my parents lost a whole flock of chickens. I think 35 oh, chickens man. to a neighborhood dog. And they yeah. all had two puncture wounds. None of mm-hmm. them, that's it. And they all, and it just, yeah, it's, it's that surplus. Yeah. They that. just get excited. I mean, that's just how they do. So that's, you know. Don't let your dogs wander around if there's livestock. But so anyway, that's what started it. Because back in like the 70s and before, there was this big flap of the same thing where the people in the area said, well, it's got to be a vampire. So the tabloids went crazy with that. And you can still see like the pictures that they put up of this monstrous vampire bat well that didn't exist either but uh, but in 1994 the tabloid spread the story of what they called the chupacabra um the goat sucker because it sucked the blood out of the animals um and then in 1995 this is what really just it took off from this otherwise it probably would have just remained local there was a woman called madeline tolentino um and she sounds she sounds like she would actually be really fun to talk to um because her story was actually kind of cuckoo but i think she was just having a lot of fun with it and i I think she believed it at the time she may still believe it um i kind of go into this in the episode because i don't want to accuse anybody of like being mentally ill or whatever because i don't know them Um, but my thought was that she was just so caught up in this that it was just like the dogs biting the chickens she just got excited and she's told this story of this wonderful amazing horrific you know, scary thing that she encountered and it just spiraled from there. And, you know, she probably believes it in the same way that, you know, when you tell somebody a spooky story at night, you know, you kind of believe it. Um, that's what's my take on it anyway. I don't want to, don't want to be down on Madeline Tolentino. She's given me a lot of pleasure just reading this, but <laughs> she, she came up with this cuckoo story, but she wasn't interviewed by a journalist. And I think that's half the problem because she was interviewed by UFO researchers. Yeah. And and I've actually read an English translation of this interview and it is 
they don't know what they're doing. They're asking such leading questions. And, you know, obviously she's being egged on by them. She just is more and more excited and adding all these details and kind of contradicting herself, but it just doesn't make sense. But the, the thing that she saw um, in the book, Tracking the Chupacabra, Radford traced it. Um, she actually talks about seeing the movie Species in that interview. And he actually went back and re-interviewed her, I think, in 2010. And she said, yeah, you know, I saw this movie. Well, the animal or the, the monster that she described looked a lot like the one in the movie Species. So it's just like the King Kong thing. You know, you get excited by something and, uh, you know... it. it it just it, it entered pop culture very quickly, probably because of the movie, which was very popular. It was actually set in Puerto Rico, where all this was going on. So the pop culture just went crazy, sort of like Nessie during that first big, exciting flap after 1933 sighting. And Nessie was everywhere. Well, the Chupacabra was everywhere in Puerto Rico during this time. And then over the next year or two or three or four, it spread to other countries, to Mexico, to, oh, um, well, certainly to the southwestern United States. And that's when the other half of it, the Chupacabra started getting confused with what are called Texas blue dogs. And those are the hairless, creepy looking dogs that people, you know, they catch them or they kill them. And they're always, always, always some sort of canid, whether it's a coyote or a dog or a wolf or a cross a lot of times, because all three of those animals will, will crossbreed. Um, and they have sarcoptic mange, which in, in the bad version of sarcoptic, I mean, there is no good sarcoptic mange, but when an animal has a really bad case of it, and it's caused by mites, and uh, it's mostly dogs and relatives that get it, but other animals can too. People are not going to get it. You don't have to worry about that. Um, but the mites burrow under the skin and they, they cause a lot of damage to the skin and plus a lot of itching. It must be just agony for the poor animals. So, um, but one of the side effects is the animal loses almost all his fur or her fur. It's fur. Um, it'll have like a line along the spine a lot of times. Sometimes it'll have some on the head still. So all these things are, you know, people say, well, the chupacabra has like these um, spines along the back. And it's like, well, yeah, that's probably fur that didn't fall out because for some reason it doesn't all fall out. Um, but usually a bad case of sarcoptic mange like that, the animal freezes to death. It's not cause, it doesn't die from the mange itself. Um, although it can be really debilitating and sometimes it just can't hunt, but usually it freezes. But in Southern Texas, it doesn't get that cold most years. So the animal can continue and live and it's not necessarily doing really well. So it's going to go after easy prey like chickens or goats or whatever. And a lot of these, um, Texas blue dogs or chupacabras, they've been hit by cars because, you know, when you're not feeling too good, you can't really dodge the cars very well. So, and they've all been tested. And as for the, and, and, and they've been tested and they're all animals with mange, which is sad, but mange can be treated. So all you have to do, if you have a dog with mange, just take them to the vet. They'll give you the special stuff and they'll you can make your animal happy again. Um, but unfortunately, that's, you know, these are usually feral dogs. So they're not necessarily going to do real well anyway. But um, but the animals, going back to the animals that were, everybody thought, oh, they've been drained of blood. You know, a normal animal wouldn't do that. Um, there's this one guy, and I didn't write his name down. So, of course, I can't remember it. But <laughs> he, he necropsied 300 animals that were supposedly killed by chupacabras. And they were all normal kills. And every single one of them, just about, um, was killed by either a dog or an, a known animal. I mean, there were no mysteries associated, and they all had the normal amounts of blood. Because um, when an animal is dead and it's lied there, lied there, <laughs> lay there for a couple of hours, the blood settles. And um, it's under fur or feathers. You're not going to be able to see it. So you look at the wound and it doesn't look very bloody. And you think, oh, it's been drained of blood. It must be a vampire or a chupacabra. But actually, that's just normal. You know, it's kind of icky, but that's, you know, we're all full of blood. <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting. You know, yeah, I, I, 
Yeah, I don't think I'm a believer in the the chupacabra or whatever. Yeah. I'm never going to be able to say the name. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. And, you don't have to. <laughs> and mind you, I want to let you all know it is okay because I am a biologist. I do have my biology degree. <laughs> it is okay <laughs> to have an imagination and think that maybe Bigfoot's real. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, and, and and I don't know for sure. Maybe there is some weird chupacabra thing. I don't think it's anything like Madeline Tolentino said, and I don't think it's these poor dogs who have got mange, but there might be something else. We don't know. And there has to be something out there. And oh, I actually yeah. I actually got some flack. I was on the Today Show years ago with Dean Kang. He's the guy who mm-hmm. played Superman, I think, in oh, the series. Yeah. yeah. And super nice guy, but he is legit. Um, he <laughs> is into Bigfoot and he has sponsored trips. And I remember I made, said something on air, like, and he's like, you don't believe in Bigfoot. I'm like, well, I don't know. Anyway. And I got like, <laughs> like, don't you get, you know, like, <laughs> do not mess with Superman. Oh my gosh. <laughs> not mess with Mr. Kane. Like, and I was like, gosh, people are just like, it's like, calm down, hold your horses. <laughs> oh man. Well, yeah, this was yeah. such a fun interview. Um, yeah. one, one last topic I'd like to talk about, because I know you are a huge fan and it fascinates me too. Let's talk really quick about the Ice Age, some animals you Oh, yeah. Yeah, so go ahead. Oh, man. I love the Ice Age megafauna so much. And um, the actually, the reason I started Strange Animals Podcast is because on another podcast that I won't name, um, I and this was just in passing, I'm sure that later on the... Um, and it was a really old episode. I'm sure that the host later on made a correction because this was so obviously not true. I'm sure he got called on it. Um, but I heard uh, a host of another podcast mention in passing the old thing that I learned in elementary school, that the Irish elk went extinct because its antlers grew so large it couldn't support them and it died. That doesn't make any sense from an evolutionary standpoint. And after I heard that, I started thinking about it a lot and I thought, that can't be right. So I did some some research and I thought, I should do my own podcast. And it's going to be all about the Irish elk, which isn't even an elk, it's a deer. They call it the giant deer these days. Um, And then I realized I couldn't really do an entire podcast about the Irish elk, not if I wanted to be more than a couple of episodes long and actually have listeners. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I love all the Ice Age megafauna. It's fascinating. Um, the Irish elk is what I started with, but I keep revisiting that. The mammoths and the mastodons, and we humans are actually considered Ice Age megafauna. We're pretty big for apes. I mean, there are some other big apes like gorillas, but we're pretty big too. And um, there were so many weird, weird animals back then, and we're still learning more about them. And I, oh, there's tons I want to cover still, but yeah, the the saber-toothed cat Smilodon, um, and and the oh the giant ground sloth that was so oh, yeah. enormous. Those big, yeah. big, big, big uh, cave bears. Oh, yeah, they oh, cave bears. Yeah, man. Uh-huh. I don't know. I it was probably pretty scary back then to be just like, like I don't have big claws or teeth, but here I am with no hair. I'm an ape. I'm gonna walk around and try and live. And there's a bear and there's a lion and there's this other thing. And uh, oh I, I just think it's fascinating. I do too. And the, the thing I think that why people think it's fascinating is mm-hmm. that they actually existed. These were real yes. animals. It's not yes. something that hasn't been proven like Bigfoot or Nessie mm-hmm. or the, the, the chimichanga. Like it's, it's, <laughs> not, it's, it's, it's those are real. I ate one the other day. <laughs> I'm so hungry. <laughs> so now. <laughs> yeah, the, and all these animals, they didn't die out very long ago. And, and in fact, there are still a lot of them living because a lot of the big mammals that we've got today, like um, elephants and giraffes, and those are all just like us. Those are all uh, megafauna. I mean, mega big fauna animal. Um, but they all just happen to come around in this same era. But yeah, they were, there were so many of them and so many of them still exist, but most of them only died out about 10,000 years ago. So not that long ago. And in fact, some of them we're finding more and more remains that are very recent. Um, the mammoth lived about 4,500 years ago, the very last ones on an island off of, um, 
oh, somewhere way up north off of Siberia. Um, the very last ones died out after the Great Pyramids of Giza were already built. They were already old then, and there wow. were still mammoths. That just blows my mind. That blows my mind, too. Yeah. So you had an isolated population. I've, I, I heard that. Yeah. An isolated population. Yeah, they didn't do real well. They, I mean, even if we've been able to go back in time to 4,500 years ago and rescue them all, they were in bad shape because they were so inbred and had been for thousands of years. They got cut off on this island, so and the island only could support about a couple of hundred at a time. So, yeah, they weren't doing too well even then. But, you know, that's not that long ago, and you never know what might pop up way up north. Wow. That is so exciting. That's so exciting. Kate, thank you so much for doing this podcast. Thank you. I had a great time. Good. Well, thank you. And, you know, and I, and I think I'm saying this for your listeners and, uh, and, and my listeners too. Thank you for doing the research. I think it's so great to have a credible source and I love how you go into everything. And I've noticed, I've said that a million times during this podcast, but I really appreciate it. And I learned so much. And I think that's what podcasts are about. I, 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 that's, I love this platform so much. Uh, me too. And I, you know, every day I open my podcast app and I learn something new. So I'm just happy to be able to sort of contribute my little bit. Yeah. And I have to tell you what, the jellyfish, I think that that literally <laughs> blew my mind. I, it is awesome. Okay. <laughs> that is, is that yeah. the craziest fact you've heard? Or is there another fact where you're like, wait, what? Mm. Oh, man, that may be one of them right up there. But yeah. I mean, I learn crazy facts every single week. So <laughs> it's awesome. And and I feel bad because I don't always get the opportunity to put every detail into the, the episode. I just can't, you know, I could just talk forever, sort of like I'm doing now. <laughs> you can yeah, destroy so, my podcast. Yeah. So, I, you know, <laughs> I, I know more little stupid trivial details about weird animals than ever will end up into the podcast. So I just hope I inspire some people to, read further on their own and learn more and maybe go into biology. Who knows? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Where can people find you? Uh, well, I'm pretty much everywhere. Just search for strange animals podcast. I have a strange animals podcast.com is our homepage and I'm at uh, Twitter at strange beasties. We have a Facebook page that if I'm lucky, I remember to log in once a week and tell people about the new episode. I'm not a big Facebook user, but it is facebook.com slash strange animals podcast. Twitter is the way to reach me. Really? Um, you can always email me at strange animals podcast at gmail.com. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kate. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you. I had a great time.